Hello, everyone, and welcome to this Trash Future Halloween spooktacular. Mm. It's very scarily being recorded well ahead of time. We're talking- There's nothing spookier than the past. <laughs> the, the, honestly, like literally every dead person is from the past, so you're right. That's true, yeah. and they have us outnumbered. Yeah, absolutely. You have me trying to think about that. No, no, it is obviously right. Yes, every dead person is in the past. This must actually be true. And also dead people are scary because they're mostly Marines who died defending the flag. Indeed. Well, almost every dead person actually died defending America's honor, including Roman centurions who didn't know that they were defending the Judeo-Christian idea that would go, that would become America, specifically America informed by the economic policies in the 1980s. Yeah, uh, ancient Romans like Machiavelli, no less. Yeah, America's just a real cute dame who some like swarthy guy is talking to rude and drunkenly in a bar, and then you have to defend her honor. Indeed. Um, but what we're talking about today, right, is uh, first, who's we? See, this is so far in the past, I've forgotten who we are. Uh, it's me, Riley. You know me from all the other episodes. I'm also here with Hussein, who now who- only records in a heavy winter coat, apparently. Who Hussein? Yes. It, respect my uh, respect my uh, Halloween name. Yes, everyone mm. has to respect everyone's Halloween name. Um, that's the new that's the new uh, woke thing right now. <laughs> yeah, being trans but just for Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. And uh, we also have Milo on the boards. <laughs> Halloween, I'm dressed as a woman because <laughs> there's nothing scarier than chicks, bro. <laughs> There's nothing- like, dude, imagine. <laughs> this is why. This is why the basement is my safe space. Exactly. You don't know. You don't know, you don't know what's upstairs. Yeah. Mm, um, indeed. Well, upstairs is the past. Uh, also uh, coming at you from the past is Spooky Alice from yes. Glasgow. <laughs> Happy Halloween. <laughs> nice. Okay. Uh, that's. I'm. I'm putting a tick next to Alice's name. Mm, um, very good. You'll find out what those mean later. Keep track at home. Uh, and of course, joining us is returning champion for Pete, I think, James oh, Medway. Okay. Who James. doesn't have a spooky name. No. You didn't tell me I needed mm. a spooky name. No. Yeah. Uh, thinking the fly like James this, Deadway. Oh, that's good. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. That's good. Slight mispronunciation of my surname required to get there. But yeah, we'll, we'll absolutely. That that's fine. Yeah. Uh, just de- Deedway. No, and that's just the, the terror of property. <laughs> Okay, fine. Um, Deadway, we'll go with. Right. Okay. Wait, so, is your name pronounced Meadway? Yeah, yeah, actually, yeah. Oh, because yeah. We've been I, everyone I literally never politics. normally correct people on this, <laughs> but there's, there's no point after a while. Fuck it, it's Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> the Virgin Meadway Halloween. versus the Chad podcaster. <laughs> Look, you know, you know what they say about Halloween? Like, you know, uh, New Year, New Me. So, yeah, it's this, you know, that's, what, that's when goths say New Year, New Me. Mm. Love um, a Halloween like, resolution. We, we might have Brexited by now, by the oh, way. Can right. I throw that one? Yeah. So, oh. actually, well, it depends if you can transmit it. But, yeah. Mm. Everyone, well, everyone that's enjoy. That's I call hashtag spooky. Everyone enjoy all your economic opportunity uh, and make sure it's not just fun size economic yeah. opportunity. <laughs> can we cut in Nate doing a breaking news about whether or not Brexit has happened? Yes. Um, Nate, cut in a spooky breaking news segment here. <laughs> So, if everyone's ready to be really spooked, uh, we've prepared for you the trash future, classical, liberal, quote-unquote-unquote-unquote, think tank spooktacular. It's a house where, of horrors. Yeah, it's an, it's, an, <laughs> it's an institute of horrors. 
Um, <laughs> Jeez. And what we're going to be doing is we're going to be going back through time, looking at the different kinds of, and this is written in all caps, charitable organizations mm. that have- Hey, it's a charitable organization. All the different- oh, Barone Sanitation. <laughs> yeah, all the different legitimate <laughs> businessmen's clubs that have defined um, right-wing politics in the UK, more or less since the end of the Second World War. And so if you want to know kind of what these think tanks are all about, they look at that figure of 130,000 dead from austerity and using a near infinite pool of resources from giant companies and eccentric billionaires, innovate ways to get that number higher. Mm. Um, so, James, can you give us just a brief review of what sort of most think tanks are in the UK and kind of how they work? Not just the right, but think tanks generally. Oh, okay. Um, well, there's a sort of spread of these things. There's, there's, a, there's a section of the internet, uh, sort of Twitter um, I've heard of it. Land. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, uh, it's something the kids use, you know. But Very it's, smart uh, website. Yeah, no, it's great. It's great. Everybody's on it now, uh, apparently. It's like Actually, a healthy way. To... It's like about 8% of the population on it, isn't it? Healthy but... way to make friends. <laughs> that good, that too. Anyway, there's but a section out there that, that, that thinks... Um, there's a section out there that thinks basically any think tank at all is is, is part of a, a sort of evil plot by the right to, to do terrible things. If you tell people, I try not to tell people this, but uh, if you tell people you used to work for a think tank, there's a sort of, there's a bunch of people who just assume that this is like just some inherently right wing, probably Tony Blair related sort of Margaret Thatcher, you know, worshipping secret society that you're part of. Um, but actually, there's a bit of a spread. Most of the think tanks, I suppose, are set up because they chase the funding and the funding, lo and behold, comes from people who are inclined to, well, first, they've got money. Uh, which tends to mean that they're quite keen on sort of keeping that money uh, one way or the other and not, you know, giving it away, for example, or thinking of something more socially progressive and responsible. Except in small amounts to think tanks. Well, yeah, small amounts to think tanks and uh, who will come up with ways in which they can sort of keep hold of more of that money. That's that's kind of the game here. So the billionaire so, sidling in, nice tank you got here. It'd be a shame <laughs> if someone filled it with think. <laughs> yeah, so most of them are sort of more or less on the right and towards the centre and there's a few sort of on the left. So, you know, the good guys in this, if you like. Uh, the Institute for Public Policy Research, the New Economics Foundation, a couple of new ones like Autonomy and Commonwealth, that sort of thing. But mostly you're dealing with a set of institutions that sit themselves somewhere between a sort of actual legitimate academic research department. You know, it's in a university. There are people with qualifications doing these things. And uh, a kind of maybe a research thing in a, in a newspaper when newspapers used to have people doing sort of research and the rest of it or the research unit of a political party. So it sits somewhere in there. And the idea is to sort of one way or another uh, come up with bright ideas that politicians can implement and thus change how, how the world is run. Uh, historically, yeah, modern think tanks in Britain date from the 1950s, right? It's the Institute of Economic Affairs is the first one set up. Uh, and then historically, these things tend to be on the right, often credited with a great influence in inventing neoliberalism or paving the way for it. Uh, hugely influential, supposedly, under under Margaret Thatcher's government in particular. So there's a set of think tanks she relied on for, um, well, for Thatcherism, for what became neoliberalism, for the whole program of privatisation, tax cuts to the rich, all that sort of stuff. So it's justifying that. Uh, it's, it's trying to get a, a sort of public... Discourse, there's a word, um, to, to justify that, uh, the phrases that people use, the way that people think about these things, and ultimately also the policies that governments implement. So. Mm. And I think that's one of the key things to note, right? That a lot of what think tanks do is they don't, they don't, a lot of them sort of don't start with an open question of what should we do and then do a bunch of things and then say, okay, well, what we should do is tax cuts and privatization. They say, how can we sell tax cuts and privatization? It's sort of a marketing firm as well. 
just in general. Yeah, yeah, you know, uh, and particularly more so in the US, I think, where, where this is quite, um, you know, something like... I'm probably going to misattribute the credit in this one, but the whole whole fuss around inheritance tax, which we get yeah. kind of a glimmer of over here. Now, inheritance tax is basically paid by almost no one, either here or in the US, right? You have to be really quite well off before you before you hit inheritance tax. But the US think tanks very successfully under Reagan managed to turn this into into calling it the death tax, which immediately sounds bad because it's a combination of two things that people basically don't like very much, right? I so worked hard for this death and I'm going to keep every cent of it. Exactly, yeah, exactly. So, so you get people really like het up about this thing that almost no no one's going to, going to face, but of course, particularly in America, I suppose a lot of people kind of believe that they're one day going to be really stupendously rich and therefore face the death tax and therefore mm-hmm. it's bad. Mm-hmm. So it shifts the whole argument away from, you know, it's not great to have a collapse of social mobility and people just inheriting vast amounts of money into, oh my God, the government's literally taxing death and that mm-hmm. is a bad thing. Is there but, anything they won't tax? Yeah, exactly. Won't you well, let me die? Yeah, of course. Because one of the few pluses of the American dream is that you're allowed to be buried in a gold sarcophagus and a giant pyramid with all of your worldly jewels and <laughs> that's, possessions. That's what that's what the death panel decides, right? Yeah, and then your car exactly. just like floats free of your body if you've been properly mummified I mean- and orbits the subdivision. <laughs> So mm. realistically, what I think we can say that American capitalism has a lot more in common with pharaonic Egypt than it does with anything else. Because it's always it, been making cotton out I there. Mean, I mean, look, I mean, this, this does go a little bit back to like Calvinism, where where you you imagine that all of your prosperity on Earth equals how 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 likely you are to be saved by God, and so you have to be rich when you die because that's how you know how good you were as a person and if you're about to be saved. However. Getting slightly back on, on, on topic, one of the things that's important to note about think tanks as well in the UK is that the vast majority of them are charities. So even though they do all of these activities that we would call political, they still have to be circumspect about carrying out political activities, which would be something like campaigning one way or another on a referendum or supporting a political party. So a think tank can't say vote Tory, but what a think tank can say is like... For just um, two pounds a month, you can help this poor child to vote Tory. <laughs> in effect, yes. Um, well, they'll say. Well, like, I just happen to think all these taxes have gotten a bit out of hand, but I couldn't possibly say which way y'all should vote. <laughs> right. So it's they have to sort of do this kayfabe where they're like, "Oh no, we're economically neutral. We're just always we just love the free market." Well, it's just the truth. We yeah, just like, keep can't help it. Yeah. If this our reality actually is, and reality is, it turns out who knew? Uh, mm. Really, really right wing and in favour of free markets. Yeah. Then all they're doing is just passing on the news. You we know? just keep exactly. inviting Tory ministers to give lectures here. Yeah, mm. it's like we doesn't we, mean anything. It's not sus. Yeah, it's just we're just friends. We're all guys. So, um, we're going to go back in time a little bit. Um, starting from the most Even recent, further back in time. Yes, where the where scary stuff is. Uh, we're all the way to the, the scariest year, nineteen eighty. And we're going to talk <laughs> about all of the different um, think tanks that have defined the right on this country from today back all the way into the nineteen fifties. Please um, keep your hands inside the car at all times. Back <laughs> in the 1950s, where they had think tanks. See, yes, indeed, they they had th- they had think tanks. They're all running on leaded gasoline, which is why exactly. all of the policies were just written on someone's fist and then punched into your head. <laughs> You'll never think me alive, copper. So, um, let's start with the young gun. We'll start with the young gun. Oddward, founded by former Theresa May staffer Will Tanner a couple of years ago, after he noticed that young people kind of hate the economy that neoliberalism has created. Um, <laughs> young people hate the economy. Just just generally, Back- just very angry at graphs. Yeah, Back in my day, we appreciated the economy. Yeah, we're too busy doing grievance studies. Mm. And what Onward mm. is trying to do is bring a little bit of grievance studies to the Tory party. 
Um, and it was supposed to be the intellectual pool for the revival of One Nation Toryism under Theresa May. And we all know <laughs> how that, that, that didn't happen. No, 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 no that okay. didn't happen. Mm. Um, so here is from Onward's own press about themselves. Onward is a powerful ideas factory for set. They love it's saying a library. <sighs> they love. They love say, like Liz Truss said that a post Brexit Britain could be the ideas factory for the world. <laughs> a powerful Man. racism factory. Like what? What is an ideas factory? <laughs> it's where they make the ideas by hitting an idea with a big hammer for sixteen hours, and then That's it gets I- shipped to the idea store. That's what I call my bedroom. Like, I don't. I don't. Under- I don't understand what this thing is supposed to be. Um, I, I believe it's a metaphor of some yeah. sort, Riley. I think that's what they're going for here. It's going to be like a thing that's quite abstract, which is, is idea, it like a Soviet ideas form. factory where all the targets are misaligned, so they're actually they're rewarded <laughs> by the volume of ideas they produce, but only by weight. So they just have to produce one really heavy <laughs> idea enormous. every quarter. Uh, and here's the heavy idea that they produced. They said, "We exist to make Britain fairer, more prosperous, and more united by generating a new wave of modernizing ideas and a fresh kind of politics that reaches out to new groups of people." Um, our goal is to address the needs of the whole country, young as well as old, urban as well as rural, and for all parts of the UK. Um, so here's one of the main ways in which they did this. They want to engage the, the youth. The, the, those words. Yeah. yeah they, all they, of they, them they mean something individually. Corporate social like, responsibility. That, that said Black nothing. <laughs> Lots yeah. of mm. very different white people. Yes. Mm-hmm. Lots of different... Con- well, they, yeah. a lot of their... their um, the art on their website, a lot of the photography, actually shows white people of all races. Damn. Um, <laughs> yeah, white, uh, Italian. Um, Can't think I, of any others. I, I love addressing rural issues. Like, why why sheep such fucking snacks these days? <laughs> so their new their new research project, which follows up on their first project, Generation Y, is called Generation Wiser. And it answer it's all about answering the following question. We want to understand why nearly three in four young people think, quote, the status quo isn't working and we need radical change, and around why three in five young people say the next generation will be worse off than their own. James, is there such a thing as a conservative answer to this question that isn't just, fuck you? Well, it's, it's I like the way that, how could anyone possibly think this? What could <laughs> potentially have happened in the last, I don't know, a decade, where like an entire generation of young people, more or less, might, might uh, start to think along these lines? Yeah, you sent me this question early, and I was going round and round trying to think of how you might answer it. There are sort of answers, potentially. Like you probably, you start to get a bit wild even by sort of conservative standards. There was, there was a paper uh, one of the think tanks produced, sorry, one of the Tory think tanks produced. Uh, that's me apologising to the microphone, you know, sort of the <laughs> object. Um, one of the Tory think tanks produced a, a while ago, which was literally laying out how you do uh, a right to buy for tenants, right? It's like, oh God, there's a problem, right? Conservatism depends on everybody owning their house. If people don't own houses, no Tories. So how do we solve this? Well, loads of people are uh, renting out houses to everybody who's skint. The people who are renting the houses can't possibly ever hope to, hope to afford it. So we create a right to buy for private tenants in order to get to this point where everybody owns a house and is therefore a Tory. But if you think about it, the first step in this way, this little journey that you set out, is in fact incredibly radical sort of change on how property actually functions, right? So labor policy. Yeah, so, so so you can kind of you kind of kind of you can imagine a kind of conservative responses to it, but they all tend to start off by actually having to be something that addresses the material reality. It's, yeah. it's that or just the American uh, rights thing of just total identity yeah. and just going into like full either like psychotic fascism or being like, well, I mean, why wouldn't you vote one nation Tory? Because we have uh, the daughter of immigrants getting condescending mm. lectures from the North London metropolitan elite or whatever. 
That, I like this though. It's extremely thinking 2.5, like getting getting people to right. You've got a situation where not enough people endorse your policies of like cutting social services and taxation. So you need to raise taxes sufficiently to redistribute enough wealth to make enough people richer so that they will begin to oppose increased spending <laughs> and be in favor of tax cuts. It, it all makes perfect sense. This, this is the kind you. of long-term strategy to reconstruct conservatism <laughs> like, in Britain, right? Socialism to own the if we can, if we could, if we could somehow brand this as an app or an innovative financing opportunity, Matt Hancock and Liz Truss would be on board immediately. Yeah, well, just socialism. Is, I mean, the trouble is, the trouble is right. But what I've done, and Alice was right, I've just given them too much credence. They might actually want to address some of these problems, right? This is why. Why are people not Tories? Why don't people like free markets very much? And why aren't they supporting capitalism? Well, you know, maybe we should make capitalism work a bit better for them. This will involve basically taking some stuff off rich people and giving it to other people that's sort of fundamentals of this one or actually the real solution they get to is just talk about any old fucking thing instead yeah. Yeah. Right, don't address the real problems do, just just find identity. something else go and talk do, about do, do identity and you exactly. can you can do that from like the uh positive thing which is like i don't know kamala harris girl bossing people into jail or the mm. negative thing which is just straight white supremacist like identitarian stuff right yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, or all the bits in the Queen's speech that that actually is now several months in the past by the time this is broadcast. But <laughs> Boris Johnson's Queen's speech that, that uh, laid out, you know, went quite big in this stuff. It was lots of sort of not really tokenistic. They're addressing problems. There's lots of like, here we are. We're going to like find this not massive social problem and talk about this. And this is the thing we're going to point at. Uh, and this will avoid us having to talk about the really huge, overwhelming social problems, which are in fact mm. massive inequality is the most mm. obvious one. So, Millions of children now are not having sufficient opportunities at school to play Pifflecock and Whifflewang. <laughs> we will put a stop to this. <laughs> I think, you know, they have adventures, they don't care about it, but we do. I think they're kind of missing a trick. Do you remember that like, Vice video that came out, uh, I think sometime last year or possibly the year before, where um, they, went to, like, they went to the Supreme store in London and they were just like talking to people about, like, why do you wait for so long for these Supreme drops? And they were like, loads of these kids were just like home counties Tories. So like one of them is just like, went to the camera and it was like Tory gang, Tory gang. Um, and that's the constituency. The constituency is hype beasts from the home counties who don't care about houses. They just want I, I sick do, they just want sick merch and good vibes. I, I do now support Corbyn's extra police officers thing on the basis that we have to control this epidemic of Tory gang violence. So if we just start putting anti-gang messaging in like I don't know the boxes at in fucking... Tatler or something, you know? Right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. What what if we put the thing at, um, in the burger boxes at Byron? Damn! <laughs> you fight this gang by stopping fighting the county lines gang and instead putting anti anti gang messages in all of the yeah. cocaine they're selling. <laughs> Home county lines. So, oh, <laughs> so good. I'd like to go a little bit further back in time. Uh, we're going to talk about the what Cameroon again? think tanks. Oh God! Uh, even spookier. So um, there are two uh, that I want to talk about. Bright Blue is the first one. It was founded in 2010. It was supposed to be the big intellectual source for most of Cameronism. And not much can be said for Bright Blue because they're inspired by Breaking Bad. So more or less. Uh, their main policy accomplishments have included pressuring for a law requiring natural gas suppliers to be infinitesimally more carbon efficient, like by 2050. Um, cutting stamp duty for first-time home buyers, which basically was just an advertisement for right to buy, and increasing the repayment salary threshold for student loans. Um, but most importantly, they provided several years of employment for Matthew Dancona. 
this this is that's a net mm. get no that's not is that a net gain for society it sort of yeah. keeps him out of the way of anything else <laughs> yeah. doesn't it yeah. so the dank yeah. owner yes look yeah. if Matthew, ubi for pundits <laughs> look milo in his in his comedy set talks a lot about how there are lots of just nonsense jobs in russia where it's like there's a guy at the bottom of every like escalator in the moscow metro who sits in a box watching the escalator and his only job is to watch the escalator <laughs> he does not provide any advice or help if it if box catches if the escalator catches on fire his job is to watch the escalator burn <laughs> matthew dancona is this man mm. i did what, what what does because i've seen this right i can't <laughs> confirm that you're not making up that there's a guy in a box <laughs> at the bottom of the escalators in Moscow but uh, in the underground but what 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 do they say he's doing I didn't dare ask I don't, well I think it, I think it is genuinely an overhang from the Soviet Union where it's like full employment economy like well we need to give him something to do otherwise he gets drunk <laughs> and kills himself so um, but you know the wildest thing about it is that now I don't say this in, in the set because it's too wordy is that not only are they sat in a perspex box watching an escalator but inside on the desk they have a TV screen which is just showing a video <laughs> feed of the escalator that they're already looking directly at. Oh, that's it's the amazing. dream. That's the dream. That's the job that I want when we do the jobs guarantee. Yeah. Is, this is like uh, yeah. the YouTube channel Alice will eventually start. It's yes. like escalator psychological experiment. I, I, I play like... a realistic simulator game of like escalator watching man. <laughs> I, I would play that for 20 escalator hours a day. Tycoon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Escalator comrade. <laughs> okay, so oh, I don't, but, but, but bright blue, yeah. No, but look, bright blue. I might be over attributing their, their actual influence here, but this is like 2017. Bright blue. I'm pretty certain the people who who said, "Oh God," like the entirety of everybody under the age of 25 or like 65 percent of them is voting Labour. Uh, this means they said with their thinking hats on. Uh, in like 10 years, there'll be no Tories left, right? This is kind of rough calculation, draw the line forward. Um, mm. What are we going to do about it? And they do a big study and they say, ah, right, young people really concerned, young people under the age of 25, even under the age of 35, really concerned about the environment. We've got things, something to say about the environment, right? So their version of what to say about the environment isn't like, here's the overwhelming thing in the environment. It's called climate change, basically. That's the thing you're going to have to get to first yeah. before you get into everything else. Like, talk about this one, then we can deal with all the other stuff, biodiversity loss, that sort of thing. These are big... Mm. Big, fundamental, systemic, capitalism is doing this. You're going to have to do something big to address it, yeah, sort of yeah. issues. Instead, they go, ah, no, actually, plastic straws, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, and looking a bit concerned about puffins or something, which, by the way, I don't mind, you know, dealing with plastic straws and looking about concerned about puffins or whatever it is, but you go for, like, the tiny little conservation sort of end of it. No, fuck puffins. What have they ever done for us? <laughs> and that's still, like, the case now, because, like, even under, like, the Johnson government, um, there are lots of, like, the Tory people who are like, yeah, Boris Johnson's new girl, like, current girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. We use a current girlfriend right well, now. Current at the mm. time we're uh, talking. Yeah. Yes, yeah, because yeah. we are we are talking we are talking in the past Ooh. and the future <laughs> where things are spooky. Relationships um, are like, complicated. And like her thing, her kind of appeal is supposed to be about like you know she's speaking for like environmentally mm. conscious young people, but like the campaigns that she's been working on are things like save the whales and everything. Mm. Um, but it's like the way that that's kind of gained coverage compared to like the Extin extinction rebellion, like mm. you know, barring what has happened today slash in the past. <laughs> <laughs> with, uh, with with the spooky area of Canning Town, um, <laughs> you know uh, the kind of the, you know the uh, with, with Extinction Rebellion, like their things are very much like environmental activism is an extension of like anti capitalist action. Yeah. Mm. Um, I think even at the most, because I remember like part of the whole like Cameron thing was that like, he changed the logo of the Conservatives as yeah, well, right, to a tree. Mm. That's the, um, and that's and that's the most you can do to protect the environment without attacking the basis, the fundamental basis of our yeah. economic system is turn your party's logo into a tree. But like mm. you know, the young people they like you know they go on Instagram, they take you know they like pictures of whales. Yeah, 
Um, it's, it's that level. Of, I mean, basically, so, instead of saying it's water, a, it's, it's a collective issue, right? We're going to have to do something collectively about the right. fact that capitalism is really trashing the environment. Yeah. So you're going to have to do something that involves probably in some level the government and people acting together in some ways. Yeah. Bigger than just your individual choice issue, which is like perhaps don't use plastic straws yeah, or, or look a bit concerned about you yeah. know, some of the animals that are out there. Again, it's not, it's not invalid to say this, but you are missing the big thing here. And it's Michael Gove who picks up on this. When If people remember, I know people don't try and remember, we might not have to think about Michael Gove by the time this is broadcast. I mean, that's a possibility, isn't it? Maybe Uh, a ghost. And may once again have an erection one day. (laughs) (laughs) These these, these are two things I don't want. Wembley Stadium by firing an RPG at him. We don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But he he was was, uh, agriculture minister... God, what was he? Um, Shadow Secretary of State and Environment. DEFRA, yeah. right? That's what they call it. And, and he had a big old push in this. So he was leading the charge, which has fed into some of the stuff that Boris Johnson wants to talk about when they talk about the environment, because they realise this is a public concern, particularly with those also also important young people. Uh, they want to talk about the environment and they want it to be plastic straws. They're banned. It wasn't that great. 5p mm. plastic bag tax, uh, for which, I mean, goodness knows how many out of that 120, 130,000 people who died from austerity, that was actually sacrificed for. But that, that was the Lib Dems' contribution to the. But how the many children might have died from uh, getting into plastic bags and suffocating you know these are, we don't have the stats yes. you've got to take a holistic view of it of course exactly yeah. the real solar panels could fall off the roof uh, a bit of reasoning there. yeah exactly <laughs> anyway if i'm if i'm right and let's assume i am i, I prefer to do that uh, then bright blue are kind of responsible for pushing this sort of individualistic environmental concern well, Toryism. i think well, the, the thing about the 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 first two think tanks that we're discussing today, the, fir- the thing about uh, Onward and Bright Blue is that they're basically both fighting rearguard actions because they know that most of the people who are voting Tory are dying mm-hmm. um, just from rickets or whatever Victorian yeah. if, disease if, if they all have. If you're under 25 and you vote Tory, then basically your whole deal is that you're an apprentice candidate. Like- yeah. Um, and so, the, but mm. these they've been fighting an ideological rearguard because they're like, look, the purpose of right wing politics is to protect the interests of people who have property and to make sure that property is preserved. Blah blah blah. We need to make some token. We need to make some tokenistic gestures to people who don't have property. Um, and that's really what these were doing. I think the last the last think tank of the Cameron era um, that wasn't fighting a rearguard action sort of ideologically was the extremely ironically named Center for Social Justice, which was founded in 2004 by Ian Duncan Smith. <laughs> the legitimate mm. businessman's social club. <laughs> <laughs> so the Center for Social Justice um, was established with its mission, again, this is from its About Us page, um, to put social justice at the heart of British politics and make policy recommendations to tackle the root causes of poverty. We argue that poverty is actually about much more than the absence of money. Is it? That, is it? I mean, that, um, that's I mean, the thing that usually strikes me most about it is not having any money. It, 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 it is kind of it is kind of fundamental to like how poverty happens is mm. that you don't have money. Yeah, yeah like it, is, I, you're I, kind of missing something if you don't if, want to if, talk about if that. I was, if I was in poverty and somebody gave me quite a lot of money, I feel strongly that I would not then be in poverty. <laughs> Well, this, but this, not that's the my radical poor. policy proposal is give people a lot of money me specifically it's like, it's like motivation guys it's like you know i i there's motivation guys who are like oh i you know i could have like a million dollars tomorrow but like but you know the trust and love of my homies are like way more important well exactly and that's, and that's what real tr- richness is the real richness yeah. is like your homies having your back all the time while you're cruising in a tesla are not the true poor those without a good KD ratio or, you know, <laughs> bros to fall back on? I mean, <laughs> being Mansa Musa is just when you have a podcast with your friends on it. Yeah. Mm. Now, here's the thing. Uh, astute listeners may, may note that this came out in 2004, the same year that Boris Johnson's book came out in 2004, where he describes what happens when people who are 
naturally poor get given a lot of money and remain poor despite the fact that they have a lot of money which is that like remembering that book (laughs) which is uh for james's benefit that uh one of the main characters of boris johnson's book um gets given a grant by a government program because he commits a bunch of crimes they're like Mm. we have to coddle you i'm mr liberal yeah because crime is sort of entrepreneurial which is the kind of spirit we have to encourage so then they give give him a bunch of money then he lives in squalor with his friends does a lot of drugs buys a a small car and then rams it through the window of a grocery shop to rob it which you don't even need a lot of money to do it's, and, it's, and a, then, it's a microcosm of modern Britain, is what then, you're saying. Then he, the kind of then, thing you're going for. then he, then he, the nation. Then he gets cucked by a sexy Guardian journalist who's looking down on him. <laughs> then he becomes a radical Muslim in jail, learns to hate the West, and then tries to bomb Parliament. So if you mm. give, so what Ian Duncan Smith's think tank is, is really the political wing of Boris Johnson's terrible book. <laughs> Boris Johnson's terrible book, the armed wing of the centre. <laughs> Traditional <laughs> wing of Boris Johnson's awful, awful novel. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Boris Johnson, real Boris Johnson, continuity <laughs> Boris Johnson. Yeah. The provisional centre for social justice. <laughs> <laughs> so, Just Ian Duncan Smith pulling on a balaclava. <laughs> it would never fit. Um, I mean, the, the thing is like I have, I probably ought to know, right? But I have absolutely no idea what the Centre for Social Justice has done for 15 years. I, I, I would be hard pushed to name a single thing. Oh, so I really I... probably, this is actually just poor research in my part, but honestly, you really ought to think at some point, I would know roughly what Tory think tanks are doing. And I, I really don't know. Well, I mean, one of the reasons you have these things is, is, is partly that Ian Duncan Smith, when he comes on television and people have to defend him and, and like other Tories do this sometimes, they go, oh, he has a real concern for social justice. And it's because he's got the Centre for Social Justice, which may or may not have done very much for like 15 years. I but he's got this you, thing, right? So therefore he's concerned about it. I will it. tell you precisely what the Centre for Social ah, Justice did. Um, so rather than hand, thinking of poverty as a simple absence of money, which they think of as a short-term solution, mm. uh, they want to tackle poverty's root causes. But I assume oh, like... Capitalism. If you, if you tackle poverty's root causes, won't at some point they get more money along the way? Like, Oh, wait, no, it's poor people having kids. The existence of poor people is the root cause of uh, poverty. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, actually one of the... Um, one of the uh, uh, so Center for Social Justice's key policies was actually to eradicate the existence of poor people in unfortunately a very biological way. Uh, their 2009 report, Dynamic Benefits, first made the case for a universal benefit to create a simpler, more cost-effective system that provides greater rewards for work. This was the foundation of the government's universal credit policy. Oh. Are they going to like poison Chicago town pizzas? Like, <laughs> more <laughs> so, or less. Yeah, like, so I'm not sure they could have done any more harm. Yeah. So essentially, if we want to say the way to eradicate poverty is to kill all the poor, uh, Ian Duncan Smith, Center for Social Justice, has really made some great strides in this area. Uh, yeah, I look. Oh God, I'm going to defend you. I'm not going to defend you, Ian Duncan Smith. No, no, stop that. Um, it, yeah, the, the, just like I mean, part of part of what happened with this is that Ian Duncan Smith did a spectacularly bad job of like uh, arguing with the Treasury about how big the cuts should be to his his, his uh, universal credit system. I mean, this is like he got completely turned over by uh, uh, by I've forgotten his name, George Osborne, um, which is you know fifteen instead of having basically the existing system but funded as universal credit in this sort of happy Shangri La where all of this works out. There was what ten fifteen billion pounds of the Treasury merrily used the cover of universal credit to rip out of the system thus driving a, a seriously large amount of people uh, into the poverty which he always claimed to be trying to get them out of. Wait, James, are you suggesting that this wasn't an earnest attempt to improve the lives of I, people on benefits? I, I, I think, I'm, I'm, I don't, yeah, yeah, that is maybe where, where I'm going with this one. I think perhaps that when the Tories said, hey, we really want to do something about this problem, it was never really going to work out quite as, as, as they painted it. Maybe that was I'm, what was going I'm on I'm developing here. a theory here. 
about there being two genders of Tory think tank. <laughs> oh, go on. But it feels explain like... to me your values. <laughs> well, I guess if you include like liberal uh, think tanks, then I'm on the Joe Biden thing of there being at least three genders. But um, <laughs> no, it, it feels like you can either have uh, this kind of like harebrained Matt Hancock seeing an Alexa and contemplating the future kind of like One Nation think tank, or you can have the like dead-eyed. Hayekian psycho and never the twain shall meet but you've got to do one or the other mm. <laughs> well because what 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 would make a think tank Tory is it either has to propose something that's going to make all of all of inequality worse mm-hmm. or it has to propose a fake solution that won't make it better but that will distract people while the other think tanks make yeah, it worse it, it, you either have like jester hat with the bells on it like jingling across the floor or you have somebody actually competent and evil before we move on to a section i've entitled the thatcher twins uh let's talk about the policy exchange it was founded in 2001 um and mostly what it seems to have done is tried to implement the politics of the show 24 in britain that, that, that is uh, not a bad description of its recent activity. I mean, look, it started out as this was supposed to be the Cameroon think tank. This was like the fresh, exciting, dynamic, whatever, uh, new Tory thinking that was going to lead to David Cameron and, and George Osborne having the wildly successful time in office that, that eventually did have. So so they, they sort of attempted to straddle the boundary between the court jester and like just being called dead-eyed evil, right? That, that was kind of their whole whole thing here. And, oh, and did the it, Joker movie. Yeah. <laughs> Every Tory think tank is a different kind of Joker. We'll figure out mm. which one they are later. Yeah, so they sort of straddled that divide in an attempt to be relatively serious, and they had a lot of money and put out fairly serious reports, and at least some of the kind of justifications around austerity, this is where some of it, uh, if memory serves, come from. But over time, they gradually just followed that kind of mad, crazy sort of mother load of just getting really, really aggressive about uh, Muslims in Britain, basically, a series of pretty abysmal reports. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I won't say yeah, we've you, all been you there, You see right, but- one of those Twitter accounts that's like some pictures of cathedrals, and it just kind of goes from there. <laughs> well, that's sort of where they ended up, and there, there was, oh God, I mean, I'm, I'm going to have to, uh, if, we're, if we're at risk of defamation, there was, there was a whole business with one of the reports just like being wildly inaccurate and seriously yeah. dubious. That's like a very recent one, right? Yeah, exactly. So it was, it was like they, they just got kind of thrown out any attempts, yeah. objectivity, thrown out any attempts of really doing I mean, serious research. In and, some ways, and I'll make this a very quick point, but it's like it kind of follows like a very similar vein to like groups like the Henry Jackson Society yeah, and stuff, again, exactly. which is also like a, one of these kind of mid 2000s think tanks that, um, like, was very useful to like Tory party. So like Eric Pickles was yep. like quite close with the Henry Jackson society and stuff. And they kind of, I, so I think they sort of realized from my very limited understanding of like think inside of think tank stuff, that they sort of realized that the economics was kind of boring, Yeah, that they, you know, cause I, I also worked at the think tank for a bit and I know that on the kind of press side, a lot of it is about just kind of getting donations any way you can. So often you're like pitching projects, not, that are necessarily like useful or you know you're trying to make them useful but you know you still got to basically solicit you know you've got to mm, get yeah, the money yeah. to do it and the people who are willing to give you money which again are people who are trying to like avoid paying taxes they also have like their pet interests and like they're trying you know, to get some think mm. right and these are people who come from like insane levels of wealth so for them like doing like commissioning a report on like you know income just like wealth distribution and stuff is just not an incentive um, mm. So it kind of, it, from my experience, like that was why like these kind of so-called social issue things mm. became very lucrative, and like think tanks could pitch and get a lot of money. 
I'd like to do a report on why my wife won't let me see the kids. Yeah. A report a report on mm, that shop down the street says halal and I'm scared of it. The Center mm. for Fathers for Social Justice. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, I'd like now to skip the 1990s because that was not really, um, there weren't a lot of Tory think tanks. That yeah, were this is Blairite think tanks. It was all crazy. It's like mm. places like Demos and uh, yeah. who else is they got, they, they, think of? Well, the yeah, IPPR actually. Yeah. That's so roughly then. Yeah, indeed. Um, the it's IPPR. previous incarnation. It's, it's yeah. previous incarnation that sucked as opposed to with current incarnation. <laughs> That's cool. Oh, <laughs> It's like Terminator 1 and Terminator 2. Yeah. Mm. Yes, absolutely. Um, <laughs> Come with me if you want to live, Tom Kibassi. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Tom, Tom Schwarzenegger. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I'm now going to talk about the Thatcher twins, and that's the Adam Smith Institute and the Center for Policy Studies. It was like a YouTube. I thought there were two like, Thatchers for a second. <laughs> <laughs> it, was like, it was like a YouTube, YouTube like group. Or, um, yes. No, it's, no, it's, it's the twins from The Shining. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's it's the it's the dreadlocks twins from the Matrix. Um, and so basically, the dre- these dreadlocks twins from the Matrix white. both claim that they were the key influential uh, bodies driving Thatcherism forward. Um, I, I didn't care. So, so, so it's like it's like, it's like so it's like Ooh. Pacific Rim. <laughs> yes, they're trying to go big. They're 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 they're, uh, they're Jaegers. They have nuclear cores. <laughs> no, but they're, they're the also pilot. Thatcher would be the Jaeger. Yeah, Thatcher they the would Jaeger, be the Jaeger, and, be and the they're pilots. the two pilots in the drift. Um, <laughs> Thatcher would be the Jaeger and the IRA just there trying to provide the bomb. <laughs> so, <coughs> the Adam Smith Institute was founded in 1977, and probably actually does have like more bodies on it than like all of the serial killers in the United Kingdom combined, mm. just on the basis of how awful its policies were for people. And the Center for Policy Pe- Policy Studies, like it still wants to get those numbers on the boards by like campaigning to introduce at-will employment like you have in the United States, but it's dead a lot of time to rack up bodies, and I think it's got nothing on the ASI. It's, mm. it's the hungry sort of outsider, the underdog. Yes. Well, yeah, but hang on. I mean, it was set up by Margaret Thatcher and Keith Joseph. So how much of an outsider are you going to be at that point? I mean, it's, it's I think sort of- I think the ASI just had a lot more energy. It's got yeah. a lot more. Um, it's got a lot more sort of willingness to play. A lot more go. And uh, ultimately, mm. the ASI just had coachability. You're just doing Stephen why. Smith. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the ASI ultimately had coachability, and they had high basketball IQ, which is why they were able to just keep getting those threes. So here are some of the threes that the ASI got local governments to contract out as many lo- local services as possible. So basically the opposite of the Preston model, where all of the money that you generate in your community goes to like one guy who lives in Gibraltar. So they introduced work requirements to welfare. So they, um, what they did was they walked over the bodies of the poor so Ian Duncan Smith could run over the bodies of the poor. Um, <laughs> That's actually your new workplace capacity yeah. assessment, is you have Nate. to run over the bodies of the poor. Nate, cut in Vangelis here. <laughs> So imagine Ian Duncan Smith running along a beach over the bodies of the poor. Um, they also recommended the privatization of all bus services outside of London, which has been a complete fiasco. Mm-hmm. Mm. They also were behind the privatization of rail and the introduction of internal markets in the NHS for like cooking and cleaning and stuff. Like these are the people. This is a good list. Yeah, I mean, if you're mm. a Thatcherite, if you want to know who made modern Britain and specifically who made it suck, like who made like the, the Adam Smith Institute. The only job they ever created were the guys that like bright blue and onward who had to figure out how to keep people bought into this shit. Mm. Mm. But this, the one commonality from this is like terrible institutional sandwiches. The greatest no, trick serious, the Adam Smith like, Institute the, ever pulled. They're responsible for virgin trains and like NHS cafeterias. So like this, their greatest <laughs> contribution to British society has been a heap of corpses and like a reheated sandwich and like a plastic wrap. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Um, to see it. But here's the thing. 
the they also created a wide variety of markets for companies like Capita and Atos, like companies that just didn't have markets here before. But they're also entirely responsible in their modern incarnation because like all their hits, they played their hits already in the 70s and 80s. They almost have no hits left to play. They like talking a lot about legalization of drugs and sex work, which, you know, fine. You know, everyone <laughs> everyone gets one right sometimes. We also mm. like love talking about how they actually know how to cook. They, oh, man. They love they oh. love posting food gore. Yeah. And um, they also love getting really good normal haircuts. Yes. <laughs> but this is a chapter of their most recent publication, a neoliberal manifesto. How do you do a manifesto for the society that exists and it looks like it's in no sign of like that, where that has full report, like um, support oh, from God, the top? Oh God, no! They call it socialism. And they get all very carried away. Oh, you know, government's like thirty-five percent of GDP. Therefore, that's kind of thirty-five percent socialist. You know, that's, yeah, that's a sort true. of mad, crazy oh, end of right. things to get to. Yeah. Right. So here is the chapter. I pulled one chapter from their manifesto. The chapter is entitled "Technology: Making the Future Awesome." Is it really? Great. Uh, <laughs> oh, I can tell I'm going to love this segment. <laughs> it's, like, it's like they listen to a certain podcast and they yes. were like, hmm. Hi, they- guys. <laughs> we should get this Matt Hancock guy in for a chat. He sounds like he's got some ideas. <laughs> Technology helps us fix society's problems from climate change to road fatalities. Is that sorry? Are you serious? Yep. That's what. Yep. So, so another way to write that sentence would be: Technology helps us cause so society's problems from climate change to road fatalities. No, no, it said fix. Oh, oh okay, sorry. Right. <laughs> yeah, fix them. They were caused uh, by ideology. Yeah, and, and naughty ghosts exactly. and social. They were caused yeah. by and identity Venezuela. politics. <laughs> yeah, gr- grievance, grievance studies. <laughs> yeah, um, because cars are naturally occurring, whereas things that stop car accidents, like cat's eyes, were invented. <laughs> like, how um, many people a year just crash their cars off the road because they're thinking about Venezuela? Yeah, mm. and techno- we need technology to help us fix these problems. <laughs> the people at TriggerPod. <laughs> so, th- <laughs> our good friends. Our- Long live them. <laughs> thanks to techno- thanks to technology, just this undefined thing where it's like you know what they mean is like a Nespresso machine and like light up shoes, but they're just saying technology. Hey, do not fuck with the studio Nespresso machine or my light up shoes. <laughs> light up shoes are cool now. <laughs> just thank- keep riding the Heelys into the studio <laughs> <laughs> while Yo. drinking Nespresso. <laughs> <laughs> thanks to technology, the average Briton has a higher standard of living even than a king did a century ago. <laughs> okay, you know. We take it for it- granted, but these days, all of us get more cool ranch flavor than a peasant in the 1400s would get their whole lifetime. Could a king get an espresso machine Here's on the, the thing- next day? They're doing such a, like, it's such a, like, bad, transparent grift, because, like, you could, like, easily make an argument that, like, oh, yeah, everyone has a better standard of living than the king did, like, 500 years ago, maybe. But, like, then 100 years ago? Do yeah. they know how tight life was if you were a king? just get laudanum on tap. Just yeah, amazing. Like- Fucking Edward VIII, like, retired to go, like, fuck in the Barbados. Like, and, like, had an amazing standard chair. of living, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but also, they're, like, they're thinking, like, well, even if you extend that to 500 years ago, it's like, yeah, of course you didn't have, like, penicillin or insulin or, or, or whatever. But, like, it's not as though you can just put us on it's some... Just, it, it's just, yeah. like, okay, it's Henry VIII got to me, right? This it, sort of thing. Like, you're saying, okay, someone today had a better standard of living than a king 500 years ago. The comparison really is what a standard of living of a king today compared to a king 100 years ago or 500 years ago. Not like, hey, let's just completely try and uh, imagine that inequality doesn't exist. Prince Edward never got to play the goose game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. The, the, broadly speaking, social outcomes are just a thing that happens and the distribution of them, really, that's just irrelevant because you've got the thing, so who cares who actually yeah. ends up with most of the things? Mm. That just doesn't matter as yeah. long as the thing exists this is all good and somebody out there probably has the thing whatever yeah. the thing yeah. might be so james what you're forgetting is that history is just the passage of time 
<laughs> exactly. It's just, it's nothing, there's nothing else that, there's nothing more than that. It's just means that it's just the passage of time and what kind of iPhone you I have. Like, I like Milo's sort of brain rant thing spreading to James. And like, it's, it's yeah, like yeah, a sorry, thing. Yeah, I, it's just, it, it, it irritates. And it also is that bit of where technology is just a thing that happens, a bit like time itself passing. You know, yeah. you get more mm. technology. It is not in any way shaped by decisions people actually make about what kind of research we do and what kind of technology we have because you might be thinking about, hey, how do we sell this technology rather than, oh, how do we solve an actual social problem? I mean, it's it's, it's, it's like, trying to yeah. do the Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court, right? Like it's it literally is doing from that. his fingers. It's, it's at the core of their economics. It's kind of like, oh, you know, well, we can make things better by doing more research and development rather than like, well, what, what mm. research are we actually doing? The answer for them is just like, well, things will just be fixed by more technology, which is like really essentially their argument for like why we don't need to do anything about the climate, right? Like, because oh, yeah. technology mm. will just make things they better. Actually, yeah. They actually, they literally said that oh, in the amazing. opening line. But can we just, can I, we just briefly detail the podcast onto what various medieval kings would do if they were alive today? Because I think like Henry VIII <laughs> would be a podcaster for sure. Like, <laughs> I mean, like, you know, what is, what is beheading your wife if not like ensuring <laughs> that your court is as minimal sus? Like, <laughs> hang out with, look, listen, listen, Anne Boleyn, Saturdays are for the boys, okay? <laughs> I, I think that um, yes, it's true that a medieval king didn't have the untitled goose game, but in the Muslim world and in China, they had innovated that much earlier, and it's just that, that <laughs> the goose game had not like migrated to Europe yet. So I'm going to yank us back on course because we have gone for a while and we have lots left to do. We have access to modern healthcare, to foods from across the world, and the ability to communicate and learn new information at almost no cost on our smartphones. This was all pra- unimaginable to even a ri- an aristocrat of the 19th century. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It's the same crap no, it argument. Wasn't. Yeah, well, exactly. Exactly. So, <laughs> I will. I'll continue on. Meanwhile, our t- to but, before we go on, so world. literally everything they've just mentioned has been funded by government at some point. You know, it's a Mariana yeah. Mazzucato thing. Yeah. Your iPhone. It's all military research. It's all defense technology funded by government. The healthcare that we have in this country. It's funded by government, lo and behold. Yeah. And the Smith Institute, I know you don't like that, but it's yeah. it's how it is. We have access to modern healthcare specifically because the workers' movement made it so in the 1950s like, and 40s. It didn't just happen because of the development of someone came up with the idea. Um, meanwhile, they say, our jobs are safer, higher paid, and more interesting than ever before. Well, it's not true. <laughs> it's like, it just isn't true. What for the last 10 years, for most people, that isn't true. When was this written? Uh, oh, this was written like a, this year. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> I, lo- I love my incredibly interesting job, like working at a fucking Instagram <laughs> click farm. It's so fun. Yeah. Our but jo- it's, like, look, basic grasp of statistics here. Re- average real wages in Britain are, are lower than they were eight years ago or ten years ago. Yeah, right? but they're higher than they were in the 1900s. I'm, I'm, I'm going to finesse this, right? I would suggest that safety and interest in jobs are on a seesaw, right? And if you want mm. to make jobs more interesting, you should make them less safe. So you yeah. can like, lose a hand at the races. <laughs> That's why children basically. should be climbing into steam looms exactly. to dislodge parts. Like, okay. yeah. If your office doesn't have a machine whose only real purpose is to like occasionally decapitate Irish children, what even is the point of working? So, they go on. What are we are doing may have changed. There are very few blacksmiths and a lot more programmers. <laughs> <laughs> but oh are, boy! But we are experiencing some JavaScript for the big hammer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just out here pounding out the program again. Just time. History is just time passing, and technology just sort of changes, and everything gets better because a lot of very clever people do a Joseph Schumpter just, just and take paid, him alone to invent something. Just get paid mm. six figures a year for such insights as mm, there aren't as many blacksmiths around. <laughs> <laughs> 
what, maybe, what, maybe is, what is a computer programmer but a blacksmith whose hammer is the keyboard? Smash, <laughs> smash report to like smash cut to a thousand years time where the most common surname in Britain is now Deliveroo. <laughs> so um, there are lots of cool new technologies on the horizon from lab grown meat that could end farmed animal cruelty to super fast 5G mobile networks and diets customized to our genetics. Number one, we've already we've already had an episode about how a diet customized to your genetics is just marketing. It's nothing. Um, and oh, lab grown meat. I wonder why we all need to do that as a society. Huh, interesting. It couldn't just be like, I don't know, maybe that this exact approach to society is burning the planet. No, but it's it, it's fine. I like they didn't tell us to eat bugs in this one, so yeah. it's fine. <laughs> Mm. How should policymakers respond to make these technologies a reality? The neoliberal answer is get out of the way. Oh, good, good. Hate when Bloody big call. government after listing, me. right? Like after listing, literally listing technologies that we have because government funded the essential research that went into them. They turn around and say the best thing for government to do is not exist at all. Yeah, because and then, then the magic of, of the free think market. Think about right? how many Ubers we could have for different stuff. <laughs> Sorry, is it just? There's a sort of basic failure. It's not just basic failure to not understand history. There's a sort of fundamental failure to grasp what human society might be that seems to be lurking Mm. behind these things, right? That if you don't consciously choose to do something, it will happen anyway via the inevitability of the market is roughly the argument here. There is is a half-serious intellectual argument to that effect by Hayek, right? It's one of his, basically, we can be ignorant because the market's much smarter than us, right? So so they're Mm. doing a kind of really, really crass, poorly thought through version of that. So well done. Uh, Well done. That long. Damn, the market is um, Malcolm Gladwell. So here's here's the final kind of. So here's the final line from this ch- chapter. The future is going to be awesome. Nice. No, no, nice. it isn't. Have they looked at the future? Have they paid even passing attention to the future? To any of the telltale signs of what the future is going to be like? Like every scientist who has ever lived who isn't being paid a hundred million dollars by like the Koch Brothers Foundation for fucking pedophilia and burning oil. That like, you know, everything's going to be fucking horrendous. There's just going to be a massive refugee crisis and Spain is going to be on fire. Yeah, the future's going to be awesome because now like a king can't yet have a sex robot delivered to him <laughs> through the medium of telepathy but in the future everything will magically be better somehow can we get blood pressure monitors for everybody in the studio because i'm concerned wi-fi connected please <laughs> to ensure that the united kingdom is at the center of the future we should unleash the our center of the future <laughs> like medieval jerusalem <laughs> <laughs> Wait, the uk is the Kaaba, and it's just going to be the alexa that we're all praying towards <laughs> people <laughs> Jesus come, come to the uk on a pilgrimage and circle it which is ironically <laughs> a correct prediction when the uk is the only like climate change immune fortress and we're not letting in any refugees they're just circling our huge yeah. seawall in Look, fucking boats. The mar- yeah, it means the market value of the UK is going up. Did you pay attention to any of the stuff I just said for these smart oh, think fuck. tanks? They're doing house prices, but for the whole country. <laughs> <laughs> okay, look, I'd be lying if I, was say- if I said the entire episode hasn't just been leading up to the big one. Mm. The Institute of Economic Affairs, founded in 1955 <laughs> to counter socialism in the UK through economic education... The ASI may have laid the framework for how we privatized and sold off every asset uh, for pennies on the pound, but the IEA were able to tell us why we did it. 
Um, the IEA is a think tank that I think is made up of some of the most transparently stupid people that Capital can muster to defend its interest. Damn, it's the think tank of mom's basement. Individually, <laughs> uh, essentially, yes. Individually, they're basically just ceremonial. They're sort of Chinese rooms. None of them have any particular opinions on anything. But if you ask them any question, they'll always find a way to answer it in a way that suggests it's a moral imperative to plunder the environment, convert everyone making under 100k to a bug-based diet, and gleefully brutalize workers. Just the um, precogs from Minority Report. <laughs> <laughs> They've also spent quite a bit of time, um, though I don't believe they are currently, under investigation for breaching those charity rules we talked about earlier. Um, and they all, they seem to avoid getting charged by it, even though there's like video evidence of Mark Littlewood, their director general, promising a Greenpeace activist operating undercover as a U.S. agribusiness lobbyist that he could, quote, change the salience of a report on post-Brexit agricultural reform. But uh, here's why when you say change the salience, what he means is what he means is is, we're not going to change our conclusions of our research. But what we will do is foreground the question that is, say, beneficial to you. I don't mm. obviously that not in so many words, but that seems to be what the offer was made on. That, 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 that all of, seems above board. Yeah. Instead, of, instead of the question this. being, you know, is it harmful to the environment to do X? The question will become, is it gay to do X? <laughs> <laughs> and to that we say yeah. categorically no. <laughs> Unless there's more than five guys involved, then it absolutely exactly is. a new report to fellas. <laughs> so, um. The, they, they responded to the argument that they were breaking the rules, so allowing a business to influence their conclusions. They said, your insinuation that we only purport certain analyses and views because we are paid to. That is categorically untrue. If you really believe that IEA authors and spokespeople are socialist, tax-loving, big state advocates at heart who only advocate free market economics for a paycheck, then you are badly mistaken. Yeah, but that's, how, but that's what a job is, is that they pay you to do something you agree to do anyway, right? Yeah. Mm. It's just, I, I think, like, if you work at the IEA and you love the free market, you never work a day in your life. It's, mm. it's I mean, look, it's, it's sort of the, 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 I mean, there is a sort of issue here, right, which is, which is sometimes how we talk about neoliberalism, which is, one, is it all just a big conspiracy to hand over wadges of cash to really rich people? Uh, yeah. And exactly, and the thing is, like, <laughs> if you kind of look at how the British economy actually works, then you, if you take the view that broadly speaking, it's a big, uh, it's a big mechanism to hand over wadges of cash to to really rich people. That's actually not a particularly bad sort of thumb uh, thumbnail description of what's going on here. The, the difficulty you got with uh, most of these sort of think tanks is that these people actually kind of believe what they're saying, which kind of sometimes blows people's minds. Like, why would you believe that something so monumentally, obviously both cruel and pretty daft? Like, hey, if the market ran literally everything, it will definitely work out better than if it didn't. Uh, why would you believe something like this? Well, they do believe something like this. And if it happens to also mean that you're finding gainful employment, I say gainful, uh, employment working for a think tank promoting those views, then so much the better. It's just a happy coincidence of uh, uh, of two separate things. Well, James, yeah. I actually have an explanation for this, which is that these people have haircuts of such baroque gravitational field-defying <laughs> complexity that they actually bend their own thought waves, forcing them to believe in the supremacy of the market. I, I, I have like I'm back to the two genders thing again because I feel like this is like the 18th Brumaire of Friedrich Hayek, right? Because you have it first as tragedy with like these piles of corpses from austerity, and then as farce where it's like, oh, what if we had a, a, an Alexa that gave you Deliveroo? Like, yeah. and it, it's, an app it's, called Plague Wagon, but with no yeah. O in it that collects all <laughs> exactly, the bodies. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> And like it's um, trying to recapture the um, the Napoleonic spirit of Thatcherism and just kind of falling flat on its ass. 
yeah. sort of alternating wildly between tragedy and farce in a mm-hmm. sort of hilariously dialectical fashion. Yeah. What we're doing is actually that's going to generate green energy. Oh, yeah. No, you sort of rig that thing up and, yeah. and let it spin. Yeah. So the, this think tank also received a grant of 100. Here's just an example of how they exert influence without breaking any charity commission rules, right? The think tank receives a grant of $155,000 from the U.S.-based John Templeton Foundation, which astute listeners of the show will remember was where Joy Ito and Jeffrey Epstein went to go for funding for their mission to find God. Um, but according to the Templeton Foundation... The Blues web- Brothers 3. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it was specifically, according to the Templeton Foundation's website, one of their interests is the promotion of the privatization of healthcare. And then the founders of the IEA also donate like 30,000 pounds to Matt Hancock, who has spent his tenure as health secretary trying to turn the NHS into like an ICQ chat room where you talk about how your heart attack makes you feel. Giant parkour like. Yeah. (laughs) And so the NHS is just a bonsai party. So, but what I mean is, like, it's not difficult to see how think tanks like the IEA can be an important channel for billionaires and companies to enact enormous influence on how they specifically want the Conservative Party to be evil without ever actually breaking a single rule of the Charity Commission because the founders donate money as private citizens. And um, the John Templeton Foundation makes a grant for research. And they're making a grant to research for people who really believe the NHS ought to be, yeah, just like Hussein said, a, a parkour obstacle course. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, you can you can always say that actually I genuinely believe these things, and this is genuinely yeah. the best outcome the th- in the public interest, right? And I don't and I don't like with the temp with like groups like the Templeton Foundation, but also groups in that vein. And I say this because I don't want to end up like in like court. Um, <laughs> but there are lots of groups that kind of facilitate that thing where they genuinely believe that oh, you know, you're kind of in the business of creating like a better society. Like you want to make one you want to make a society that functions and we, you know, believe in like both sides. So like if you have a solution to, you know, poverty and that solution happens to be that like you're gonna sell all like half your hospital services to Amazon, then cool. Like, you know, mm. do some research on it and stuff like that. I think they kind of you know, I I I I think for them it's not it's it it's not necessarily like completely ideological in like a direct sense but it's one where um i don't know for lack of like a better term like they genuinely think that they're doing something benevolent Mm. for society that's 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 our materialist analysis right is that capital doesn't have to have meetings where everybody has like a big high-backed chair and they sort of stare at each other all spookily to have a Mm. class interest right yeah they still often do but also <laughs> yes, like well, that, that was my thing with the Toby Young race science thing. Was like for years I was pounding the drum of being like, okay, well, racism doesn't mean you have to have a big meeting where you all get together and decide how to be racist. And then they did. <laughs> <laughs> but like the other thing, right, is like the IEA doesn't even say you should vote for the Tories. Like it actually excoriates them every time they try to relieve the brutality of their own governments a little bit. And so like. They don't change their conclusions for you if you pay, but it's a pretty good bet that you would never even need to ask them to. And that's why, like, every time I see someone say, who funds you? Who funds you to the IEA? I'm like, why are you bothering asking? Like, you don't need to know. funny and they'll block you. Yeah, capital, (laughs) true. Uh, Capital doesn't have to organize and you're not going to find out any new information. It's like pre-organized. That's what makes it capital. (laughs) Mm. It it, it does, however, annoy their social media person and make them go (laughs) to the trouble (laughs) of blocking you. (laughs) So so does that. Um, I just love it when, like, 
a, a certain very online poster at the IEA. The, the like, o- yeah. He, by the way, stop making fun of Kristen Nemitz. Just don't bother. If the guy's a poster, you'll you'll never make fun of him through traditional means. You I need lo- to think I, of new means. I love yeah, him because we're, we're like, all he, locked in there with him. <laughs> I, I love the him because he's from inside the house. He, he's a guy who you can tell like spends a good part of his day. And again, you know, this is also another thing. Like, I don't know, James, whether this kind of uh, you you actually had a proper job at a think tank, but I basically used to spend all my time online more so than I do now. Um, and I could do that because my think tank job was basically nothing. And I feel like Christian mm. Nimitz is very similar. Like he just has a job <laughs> where he doesn't really have to do that much. So part of his job is just like, you know, monitoring leftists online and trying to imitate their language. So like the thing that I really like about what he does sometimes is when he, you know, um, what he, you know, uh, that meme where it's like a mixture of like capital letters and small letters. Sure. Like the SpongeBob meme, right? Yeah, sure. Basically, mm-hmm. like, oh, oh yeah. who funds you? And it's kind of like, well. It's still like a legit question, right? Like, <laughs> you can like put a sponge. You can put like a Squidward meme on there. Like it, it it's still like we're still not answering this question. But there, there is, there is. I mean, the the thing about ideology is sort of central part of it, and it's also what Alice said, which is like absolutely it, that capitalism to function, capital to function, does not require the old capitalists sit around yeah. and have a good old plot about what they're going to do next. No, man, have you seen Eyes Wide Shut? Sorry, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Crazy shit. <show. laughs> not very much actual running of capitalism for what I remember of, of that particular film. Yeah, but, yeah. Most of their stuff. eyes open as in well. There was only one What's definite capitalist in there, and that was the guy running the shop that he had a fight oh, with. Yeah, anyway, yeah, so he's going to. But leaving that aside, this doesn't have to happen, right? And the thing doesn't work like that. It works because yeah. actually they're all out to get each other in some senses. That's that's the comp- that's competitive part of it. Yeah. Ideology is what there is basically to get everyone to do more yeah, or less yeah. the right things more or less all the time. So there's yeah. this boundary. If you're looking at think tanks, how much influence they, do they have? Is it, as I think uh, Riley was saying, that, I mean, who cares? Does it matter that much who funds them? They'd be there anyway. They'd be churning this out mm. anyway. They kind of believe it. It's just a sort of ideological function in capitalism. Or is there something more direct? Can you trace a direct line? from here is yeah. money from this source here is think tank output here is this thing that definitely happened mm. I mean to be honest I, I think it is more towards what Riley says right I don't think there's a big sort of funding chain that turns directly yeah. into simple government influence we're not quite some parts of the world that will happen right yeah. but, but we're not I don't I mean, think like, quite like, like tobacco, that though. like with tobacco yeah. there's definitely like a paper trail right mm. and there's definitely like a thing of yeah, and climate you know, change denial Right, right. Yeah. So there's a few bits mm. where you can start to pick some of these things out yeah. where you can see that they're trying to well, shift the argument. The general thing of think tanks where like you're selling, you're yeah. basically like you're kind of, and really, well, I've just been thinking about this now, like really what this is, is like the reason why these guys love the so-called battle of ideas so much is because they're the ones who are like profiting. They're the only ones that are profiting from it. Like their whole business yeah. is like, you know, we're going to sit around like coming up with some stupid stuff and we'll sell it to like people who are basically clueless. Yeah. It's I, like, like robot medicine. wars, but for ideas. No, because with robot wars, they actually build the robot, right? Yeah. There's actually like a product at the end. Whereas These like, guys yeah. are just trying to make, create the economic conditions so that the private market will build the robot. I actually love the idea. I think, I think this is a certain, it's a perfect job for a certain kind of like uh, Oxbridge person who just wants to spend the rest of their life doing like abstract intellectual tasks where like, okay, well, British American Tobacco have given us $100 million to work out why cigarettes are good actually. So get on yeah. it, champ. Go oh, I love reading reports like, uh, you know, yeah. Uh, cigarettes are actually delicious and help with women's hysteria. Well, you've got a really yeah. good. You've got a really good point because these are like a lot of these people who go into think tanks are people who just wanted to do master's degrees and either couldn't mm. get the funding to do it, mm-hmm. 
or they weren't able to pay, or they wanted to get paid. Or they did, right? yeah. just didn't want to start being in academia. Right. Mm. Well, there's, there's a particular strand of sort of right-wing free market contrarianism, which, which like, I mean, basically do any economics course, you end up with at least a set of people oh, start yeah. thinking like, ah, you think it's actually good to have free healthcare? Well, let me tell you, if you had to pay for it, then this would be efficient, and here's a graph, you know, that sort of mm. kind of, mm. it's bullshit, obviously, but uh, that's that's what you get a lot of people think like that. And and I do think uh, there's this space where you can, you know, eke out an existence doing space. that for some period of time. Sorry? It's a safe space for Bowtie guys. It's, it's that's it's, it's UBI. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, UB, it's UBI for the worst people from your economics course. Universal Bowtie yeah. Initiative. <laughs> <laughs> the ir- so many good episode titles this episode. The irony for me about it all as well is that, like, obviously they, they love accusing, like, the left of doing, like, magical thinking or whatever when we say, oh, we're going to provide X, Y, or Z service for people. But it's actually something that they're much more keen on because they're like, oh, well, what we'll do is we'll privatize health service and everyone will have private insurance. And yet, and somehow it will produce a better outcome for everyone, which is impossible. It's not, it doesn't make any sense because, like, well, if it's not going to like cost everyone more money or it's not going to be not provided to some people how the fuck is it somehow going to be better no the answer is that just like poor people will die and rich people will get a better service like it's, but this is this is a sort of ideological if you take all of it together i mean it's not just think tanks there's a whole sort of shift in like how we do a common how we think about the economy in a common sense way like you can say something like hey wouldn't it be like great if we sort of privatize this thing and and like and for a lot of people it's just a sort of it's a gut immediate common sense thing we're going well yes that probably is going to be the good thing we should do. You might sort of know it's wrong, mm. but the arguments are already kind of there at the front of everybody's minds, right? That of course the free market is going to be better than government doing something yeah. or some it's other. It's like form getting a McDonald's at two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> right. so there's a bit at the back of your mind that's like, oh, it's probably a bad idea, but then most of you is like, hell yeah, dude. So uh, Milo's uh, discussion of magical thinking leads me to our final, not our final think tank, but a little like mini product section at the back of the IEA section, the personal ads section, um, <laughs> because this is an example of magical thinking. Every year. The IEA awards a £50,000 Richard Koch, no relation, they just love people named Koch, uh, <laughs> breakthrough prize. Um, and the winning entry is this. It's called Edeg. Edeg. First Pro of policy. all, where, where the fuck is my Koch breakthrough prize? <laughs> <laughs> Please break off. Um, the winning entry, Edeg. What do we think is Edeg? An egg, an egg that looks like Ed Miliband. Mm. Ed, Ed Egg and Eddie? It's going to be some education-related thing, isn't it? It's that's ed. how these people... Oh, that's Because yeah. they all think they can mm. make loads of money out of selling education. It's going to so be education. It's the education Enterprise and Giving Back grant. Oh, and giving... Wait, so you get a grant for giving back? Yeah, it works <laughs> like you a just Roman end up with, like, the same? You just do this. So, um, what do we... I'm just... Before we... Before I'm going to go to explain what this is, I want to do one more round of guessing. What do we think the fundamental function of this policy that the IEA have given this prize to is what would be a good policy for Britain? That the EDEG, the Education Enterprise and Giving Back Grant, what do we think the operation of that policy is? Oh, it's a policy. It's not like an actual like product. It's not an actual egg, no. Damn. Mm. Damn. I, was like, I, was, I was thinking it could be like an egg and every time you touch it, so, it so just teaches you a It's a description slap. of a policy yeah. that should be introduced. Coming up with some hard-boiled policy ideas uh, down yes, here. Yes, yes. Come on, James. I, I, I know, I I know, I know you want to It's going to be guess. some awful thing that's going to involve like privatising schools in some form, right? Um, it's going to be getting teachers to do stuff on the sly and you pay them back some money, probably in voucher form. Nope. It's handing vouchers to everybody in the country so they can buy, buy education. Yes. Right? yes. Can, that's already been done. That was like a genuinely stupid proposal by one of this lot from the 80s. Well, wait, hang on, they're doing voucher privatization. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that created the Russian oligarchs. No, they're not doing that. Um, it is a nest egg of opportunity for all. Um, <laughs> it proposes rearranging the flows of money in higher education so that universities, rather than governments, lend to students. 
No. Oh, God, no. I can foresee literally no problems with this. Absolutely so, uh, not. Completely. T- why? Well, I'll tell you why. Uh, they have a lot of great reasons. Um, so how it works is that the universities lend money to students and the universities borrow that money from banks and the loans to the universities are then guaranteed by the government. So I'm imagining nothing- Lionel Hutz drawing a very complex diagram <laughs> for the court. <laughs> they do have a diagram. It's oh, just incredible. shifting the precarity of student loans up one institutional level. Yeah, to I even love, more I, precarious I institutions. To, be a, to catch them at the beginning of the month and have them have a lot of FAFSA money. And then at the end of the month, they're just like, oh, sorry. Like, Listen, yeah, uh, you're behind on your payments to Cambridge University. Uh, we would like you to have a little accident. Huh? <laughs> so these will be funded initially by completely cancelling the entirety of the government student loan program. That and also effectively, that's not a bad idea. And then every student is just given twenty thousand pounds. Uh, but in a, a special account called an EdEgg account. Okay, this is getting to the bad idea <laughs> yeah. part of it, right? If you're just going to get, get rid of student loans and make uh, universities free, this is good. Yeah. But obviously, I, I they can stop at that point. I wasn't giving no. me twenty right, right. grand thing either. That sounded quite good. So, oh no, oh no, Alice, Alice, Alice! <laughs> they do not give you twenty grand. Far from it. They give a special account in your name, twenty thousand f- university fun bucks. That's a it's sovereign like, citizen thing. I'm not the real person. I'm the like paper account with this money in it. <laughs> It's a, so it's like a Disney fun dollars thing, but for your education. And so the mm. idea is that if you apply to a degree-granting institution um, that is recognized as a pro- EdEgg provider by EdEgg... Such as McDonald's University. Milo, yes. This is kind of what this pro- policy is set out to create. Uh. Then they can pay... Then you're allowed to pay them from your EdEgg account. Now... They're, they can only charge up to certain amounts, and there's 20,000 pounds in the EdEgg account. So the idea is that universities will charge certain uh, amounts. And they'll and all compete, and it'll all be super efficient, and everyone's happy. They yeah, won't yeah, just charge like, That's how this maximum, story literally always yeah, ends. They right? won't just charge the entirety of the yeah. EdEgg account, and then a bunch more on top of that. They it's won't, because... Like, this is so just fucking <laughs> stupid! They literally did this with the fucking raising university tuition fees. The idea of being like, well, worst universities will, of course, charge less to attract students. <laughs> it won't be the case like, that yeah, all universities shit. will simply charge the maximum amount Certainly. of fees. Oh, it appears that on day one, all universities have elected to charge the maximum amount of fees. Because you don't want to signal that you're a shit university, so, right? So you charge as much as you can get away with, obviously. So you they have, have the memories of goldfish. They have this grant. And but then they also the university lends you however much money you need to complete the degree, and the income of the university in future depends on the level of income-related payments they receive from their graduates. So it has a vital interest in raising its productivity and making sure that the courses add employment value and helping any graduate who is un or underemployed. I'm not like the smartest guy, but this I'm envisioning this, and it looks very much like an Irish Egyptian monument. Yeah, <laughs> it's um, a pyramid. So it's like a pyramid it, scheme, it but like by indentured servants. Just yeah, to be clear, and it's where privatizing universities completely, obviously. Yes, yeah. just, like, just to know, be clear, though, this here. isn't going to touch like any, certainly not Oxbridge or like any no. Russell Group University or anything like that, because they're basically no. all real estate hedge funds well, anyway. Um, yeah, exactly. Are, are the university's going to be allowed to package up all the loans they're making and, and sell them off somewhere else? Because oh, that would definitely, money. definitely be a really good idea to stick in the top of this one. Yeah, they should um, definitely have collateralized loan obligations yeah. for universities. This is, <laughs> this is brilliant. Yeah, because then what if the university industry was like a trillion pound industry? Yeah. And, and well, they well, let me do my degree, even knowing that I was very unlikely to finish it. Yeah. yeah um, exactly. And also the, the thing is they say, don't worry. 
arts and humanities degrees will still be provided because obviously you need an arts degree to talk to an AI. Just a guy in Florida with a huge medallion going like, yeah, I bought this boat. I convinced like 15 dudes with a 2.0 grade point average to take a degree in media <laughs> studies at Nottingham Trent University. Uh, who Just gives a fuck? signing people into bovine universities. <laughs> yeah. Um, so under EdEgg, <laughs> studying music. Under all EdEgg, approved post-18 providers, including universities, then set their own fees, but share the risk faced by the students. So they then have to provide lots of effective use of time on campus, after-sales support, e-learning, all these kinds of things to make the most effective future, you know, whatever jobs are going to be when there are like five jobs left. Mm. E-learning. That's, that's definitely <laughs> a thing learning. that happens now when you have to give a university all of your money. You can still, like, you can approach them as a consumer there's no like institutional power vertical there you can be like well fuck you i'm paying for this right mm, you can yeah, do that exactly. right right i want to speak to the university manager exactly <laughs> and yeah, you can transfer I, this is presumably part of the genius thinking here is that you can transfer yeah. between universities i don't like this university i'm mm. taking me and my head going yeah. to you know mm. I, I think almost certainly not no you definitely have to finish your course this is a well thought through policy james um but also i noticed we've been going for for quite a while uh, so I'm going to begin this spooky Halloween institutionalized right-wing think tank episode special. It's very hard to talk in that ghost voice. Um, so uh, thank you very much for listening to us this Halloween on Patreon. Uh, James, do you have anything coming up? You have a book coming out at some point. Yeah, at some point. At some yeah. point. I'm theoretically writing a yeah. book. That's Look it. No, I'm actually writing a book. Yeah. I'm actually yeah. writing a book. I'm theoretically finishing a book. Yes. Mm. Look out for James's theoretical book at some point. Mm. Um, where he says a lot of unreasonable stuff, like uh, we should have free healthcare, as opposed to remember kings, they fucking sucked. Their lives weren't even very good. The lives, <laughs> well, like, everyone clearly, dope. clearly, if the market wanted the book, it would have appeared by now already out of nowhere. Yeah, Books, exactly. Very sad kings. <laughs> the kings, they didn't even have TV. Henry VIII couldn't get a McDonald's. Folks, failing king, very bad, yep. very bad king. Yeah, that's more or less. That's more or less what the Adam Smith Institute said about the long run of human society. God, mm. In two hundred years, we're going to be living under like in fucking opal mines while the surface boils and having to listen to the Donald Trump Institute. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> All right. Uh, on that. On that very cheerful note, uh, we'll, we'll see you all after <laughs> the witching hour. Ooh. Ooh.